Tales from Before, The Legend of Big Belly Long before the creation of humans, before the devourer emerged from the storms in Asefi and filled every heart with fear, before the gods set sail from the pole and conquered the world, dragons ruled the world. During this time, there was a dragon who was known as the Eastern Abomination, the rogue prince of the burning sea, the apostate flame, and the relentless protector. To his friends, though, he would always be Big Belly. This is his story. Prologue. Every eye in the forest of sea brine watched as the sky-blue she-dragon flew above. The tiny furtive creatures, the lumbering beasts, the swift hunters, and the unwavering gazes of the guardians all followed the dragon as she traveled eastward toward the ocean. The dragon had no notion that they were there, but they certainly noticed her. Meanwhile, the dragon Marcalia thought about bringing death to the enemies of dragonkind. Which, of course, meant anyone who wouldn't kneel to the Flaming Empire and Queen Droog. She whose flames burned brightest, the second queen and fourth ruler of dragons. Marcalia had set out to do what good nieces did when they learned that a group of petty rebels had refused the imperial word of their aunt. She was flying out to burn their homes, slash them to pieces, and present the head of the largest ones to her majesty. She would get a royal accommodation, flash her scales to the crowd, and get permission to legally court her mate, and thereby not get in trouble for having already done so. If pressed, but who would dare press a dragon? She might have admitted that the last of these concerns was foremost in her mind. Royal punishments for unapproved mating tended to be carried out with all the good humor and understanding of, say, an axe blade descending on a prostrate scaly neck. It was with this in mind that she had set out for the forest of Seabrine, where she had heard that there were a couple of tribes that had not bent the knee when a draken expedition had found them. The silly draken had simply sat there and taken that without complaint, which filled Marcalia with scorn. She felt embarrassed to share anything like a kinship with such coward. Supposedly she was there now, the red leaf forest by the East Ocean, tucked slyly between the hills that were just a little too short to be called mountains, though she saw no sign of the rebellious forest creatures. She had to admit to finding this place beautiful. The trees rose a mere thirty feet high, but each leaf held a mixture of red shades, threaded with orange, and when the wind blew through the branches, it looked like the treetops were aflame. It was springtime, so the coloration must have been a regular trait of the foliage rather than a seasonal change. The air smelled of tangy sap. The far edge of the forest lapped against the eastern ocean, no doubt the source of the name Seabrine. Marcalia contemplated renaming the forest to Flame's Reach or something when she conquered it. The forest seemed a proper place to be a dragon's home, with this red-orange coloring, and perhaps she could make it a seasonal getaway. Once she had driven out and killed the malcontents, in any case. Marcalia stopped her flight atop one of the taller trees in the forest, many of whose branches promptly bent and snapped beneath her weight, despite her efforts to distribute her mass as diffusely as possible. When stabilized, she took a moment to, to breathe in the clear air, glorying in being far from the smelling metropolis of Agnadlavna, the dragon's capital. The capital was doubtless splendid, but it also smelt of pig sh** and the sweat of lower creatures. Her thoughts became sluggish, drifting away on the fine spring breeze, and all focus on achieving her goals fell away for a time. She might have slept there in the broken tree, but she was hungry. She hopped down from its boughs and began to devour the very tree she had landed on. 
great flat teeth grinding trunk branches and leaves to powder before she swallowed them. The sap made the tree slide easily down her tongue, though it felt heavy in her stomach. Markelia yawned, well and truly distracted now, and thought it might be pleasant to swim in the East Ocean. Satisfied with this plan, she took to the sky again, heading east, though more languidly than before. Markelia had not made it more than a hundred feet when she was struck by what felt like the great arrows into her side. She let out a mighty huff of surprise and looked down to see something that chilled her bones. What had struck her were the sighs of what looked like five wooden praying mantises with red eyes that ached with hatred and six limbs rather than four. Their forms flowed as though they were made of water, not wood, and they wasted no time in climbing up towards her back. Markalia knew what they were. Guardians of a progenitor flower, vicious sentient plants that were three times as territorial as your average hornet's nest. The queen called them weeds, which Markalia preferred to their proper name. She panicked, rolling over in the air, trying to shake off her unwanted passengers, but they dug their scythes into the gaps between her scales and clung on. The guardians were grown to die for their progenitor flowers, but not before they had shed the blood of any creature foolish enough to represent a threat to their beloved flower or the rest of their grove, which was what they called the collective guardians in service to the progenitor flower. They knew what a dragon was and how they would kill one. They opened their mouths and let out an oleulating war scream, already grieving each other's deaths but unflinching in the face of their dire purpose. The weeds scuttled up Markalia's body, screaming with what seemed to Markalia to be an utterly alien wrath. These surely are monsters, she thought. Weeds that need to be rooted out for everyone's safety. She was a dragon and a niece to the queen at that. How dare they attack her? They would, she would show them what it meant to attack a dragon. She breathed fire at the overgrown insects, craning her head around as she flew, trying not to crash into the treetops as she hurtled forwards with her head turned backwards. She caught one with flames, but it did not stop, heedless of its burning body and no pity in its red eyes. After two steps, its legs cracked underneath its weight as the fire ate it from the inside. The weed fell to the earth, crashing into a tree on the way down and breaking apart into shards of burning scrap wood. The guardians did not stop. They had already mourned each other. Markalia clawed to keep them away from her face and spat fire again, this time to no avail for the weeds scuttled and dodged each burst of flames. She had never faced weeds in combat before, and for a moment her courage faltered. She began to move with greater urgency, wriggling and turning suddenly, trying to shake them off, wincing with pain as one of them plunged his scythe-like arms two feet deep into her flesh. She rolled over in the air, flying jerkily with wings, snapping harder like branches caught in a hurricane. Two of the weeds fell off her back as she struggled, but even as they tumbled off, four more jumped from the treetops and began a fresh attack. Barkelia let out a pained scream as two of the weeds dug into the base of her wing, viciously cutting and trying to tear her from the air. Fearful of being overwhelmed by more unwanted passengers, Markalia climbed higher into the sky, even as her claws clamped down on a pair of weeds that had dug into her skin, into her wing joint. She crushed them like twigs, but let out a roar as they continued to scratch at her for a few moments before falling still. Hundreds of feet up they climbed, struggling, the swarm of guardians still dauntless, but no longer possessing the element of surprise. Two more fell to her flames, and, to the dragon's flames, and another to her claws. 
Just as the dragon seemed like she might be about to gain an advantage, a bolt of lightning descended from the clear sky and struck the light blue scales. The dragon seized up, losing altitude for a few moments before her wings beat again. The guardians whipped their heads around, though in truth they already knew what the lightning meant. What looked like a pair of huge wings of black feathers descended from even higher in the sky. There was no bird's body connecting them, though there were a pair of talents protruding from the rear. It was like a manta ray that had grown feathers and taken to the sky. A single circular mouth and two massive eyes of glowing gold sat with in the center. Each flap of her wings made a mighty whoosh, for, for though lighter than the dragon, she was almost twice as long. Around her crackled sparks of lightning and the smell of ozone. The Thunderwane knew what the dragon was, and would not suffer a dragon in its forest. The guardians knew her well, but neither cheered nor hissed in rage at her arrival. They were suspicious of this outsider to the grove, even if they could acknowledge that the Thunderwane also had reason to keep the dragon out. The Thunderwane summoned a vicious windstorm, which pushed the dragon downwards, like a hammer brought down on an anvil. The dragon plummeted down, and one of the guardians tumbled off. The Thunderwane saw no reason to be discourteous to an ally in this hunt, and summoned a wind to break the guardian's fall, an act for which she knew she would receive no gratitude. That did not matter. All that was important was that she bring down this plague. Marcalius scrambled against the winds that pushed her down, pushing up and up against them and straining to regain altitude. When that failed to work, she breathed fire towards the Thunderwane. The Thunderwane banked expertly to avoid her flames and continued its gale, pushing her further and further towards the ground. What was this? Why was her luck so terrible today? Not just a swarm of weeds, but a Thunderwane also? This was simply impossible. Dragons ruled the sky and all that ran beneath them. But now her wings ate with fruitless effort, especially her right wing where the weed had attacked the joint, and she stung with the pain of a from a dozen smaller wounds inflicted by the weeds. The wind was so loud she couldn't hear herself roar, and the screams of the weeds had been mostly muffled. She bled a tiny rainstorm of red droplets that was starting to make her lightheaded. She needed to get away fast, dreading what would happen if the Thunderwane succeeded in pushing her to the ground. She tried to escape out from underneath the winds, pushing herself westward and away from this place. Home, she thought, home where she was safe. But that was too little too late. Marcalia had been pushed low enough that more weeds leaped from the trees uh, onto her back, adding their biting scythes to their companions. She was under fresh attack from the new ruffians and was unable to align herself in any one direction to allow escape. Then it wasn't just guardians. Other predators joined in. Bat-like creatures with wide jaws left stinging bites that sizzled. What looked like stretched thin cats that swung from treetops like apes flew at her with roars of challenge and raked their claws at her wings. And cackling many-legged creatures like Clawed spiders threw themselves at her like tiny hurricanes. They were the Evier, the forest's swiftest and cleverest carnivores. The Evier were joyful to join this hunt. All at once, Marcali could resist no longer. She crashed to the ground, clawing at the trees and the vicious predators and the weeds and anything else that she could reach. She spouted off fire, but was wild and directionless. She was as denuded of the pride of dragons as these savages. She was mad, rolling around and attacking anything in reach. 
She tried to fly it again only for the wind to force her back. The ground around her was stained with blood, hers and her foes. She crushed weeds to twigs beneath her, her back and tore the Evier apart, but there were always more. Suddenly, the Evier retreated, like someone had given a silent cue. For a moment, Markeli rejoiced, thinking she might have a chance to escape, but the wind slammed her down again when she tried to rise, and the guardians clawed at her still. Then, white-yellow flakes filled her vision, and for a moment, she thought she was hallucinating from fear. She smelled something herbal and sour. Her brain grew foggy, and she realized in a far-off kind of way that they were spores. She turned. It was the Nepodra. Of both plant and flesh, they were as varied as the Evier. An eight-foot lizard with black wooden scales stood next to a buffalo with grass instead of fur, next to a flat-toothed lion with a mane of vines. At their front was a bear with pine needles for fur and roots rather than claws. The Napodra stood proud, ready to fight side by side, ready to return to the earth, leaving behind only the songs they had put to the wind and their corpses. But it did not seem to them that such a thing would be necessary today. All were breathing out spores, just as she might have released fire. The air was full of them, tiny dust motes that she couldn't help but breathe in. With each breath, her vision became darker, and she lost grasp on reality. Her body was no longer responding, like she was miles from her claws and wings. Her eyelids were heavy. Markelia's last thought before she lost consciousness, pulled into sleep by the terrible spores, was that the forest was so beautiful. How could it have contained such a fate for her? Are you awake, little dragon? The voice was talons on hard rock, and not just because Markelia's head ached. We agreed... You should be awake for this, oh mighty fire-breather. Was that a mocking tone? Taken with her? Markelia's eyes fluttered open. She was face to face with a wolf whose coat was thunderclouds on a night sky. The Evier was bigger than an ordinary wolf, but its proportions were different, too. He was too tall, his muzzle too long, and his eyelids far too long. His claws were already covered in her blood. Reflexively, she tried to open her mouth to turn him to ashes, but found the thick vines had been tied so tight around her snout that she could not even open it an inch. She tried to move, but her, her limbs were heavy as mountains. I am the leader of the Evier in this forest, said the wolf. I won the right by blood and bone. I am Kraj. You invaded my home and killed my father and his mother both. You left the pack weak. He spat the words venomously, contemptuously, trying to force the dragon to feel his rage. Markelia thought, and you're about to be ashes when I get these vines off. The bear leader of the Napodra stepped forwards next into her vision behind the wolf. And I am Rike Uzur Prut Don Djeka. You burned my mother, my aunts, my uncles and my cousins, one and all. You who are beings of fire and death, leave nothing behind but ashes. In my mother's honor, your heart is never far. You are my spirit now. Though my peace you mar, your love I will grow. Markelia had no idea what these mad creatures were speaking of. She had never been to this part of the world. 
There was no way she could have been responsible for what either of these two insolent creatures said. She would have told them so had her mouth not been tied shut. She turned her head and saw that she was in a great clearing. High above her in the trees, the thunderwain was perched like a great shadow. On the ground, dozens of weeds stood in a tight pack, eerily unmoving, eyes fixed on her. Spread out throughout the clearing among these were perhaps a hundred evier. They were moving constantly, prowling ceaselessly, low to the ground and mouths salivating. An equal number of Nipodra watched her, heads high, claws or hackles raised. She no longer thought escape likely. The Thunderwane spoke next in a quiet but clear voice, deep as the ocean. You will not know my name, nor do I give you any part of me but my rage. Soon you will not roar in pride. You will be silent. Then the forest was alive with the voices of the Nepodra and the Evier. Each creature sang their name and listing a grievance with Marcalia, which meant nothing to her. Only the weeds stayed utterly silent. At last, quiet reigned again, and the bear spoke. You may be confused, said Rike Uzur Pruvitz Domjeka, thinking that you could not possibly have committed all the atrocities that we lay at your feet. But it matters not whether you were the one to kill our loved ones or forced us from our homes. The forest of Seabrine is a safe place. In the parlance of my people, a flower that rises high above the ground, untouched by struggle far below. Each and every inhabitant of this place had their home destroyed by dragons, driven ever eastward by your empire of death and fire. We would not wear the chains you would forge for us. Kraj cut in impatiently. You came to our homes to kill us. We won't let you or any other dragon have your way. This is our place. Our place, echoed the Thunder Wayne. The guardians were growing restless, not that they moved to show it. They had suffered this little demonstration for almost too long, and they itched to dispose of the dragon at once. You came here to make this place part of your empire, said Rike Uzur Privetonjeka raising her head high in challenge. But you will not have anything more of us, nor of our children, nor of our children's children. You're about to learn the only lesson that really matters, said Kraj, a deadly leer on his face. Every creature, including the guardians, was now drawing closer and closer. Markelia wanted to scream, tried with all of her might to move, but could not seem to do so. The magic of the Nepodra's spores held her fast. Death was so close. Why was life so unfair? What had she ever done to ser but serve her empress faithfully? Couldn't they see that not all dragons were the same? She only ever wanted to laze about and spend time with her mate. Surely they would understand that. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Don't with the forest. It was not until later that the denizens of Seabrine found the egg that the dragon had been carrying inside of her. The egg was undamaged, but for a single scratch in its shell, running from its topmost part to the bottom.